When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 140 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast, presented by New York's iconic Empire Hotel. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of Broadway's biggest stars, a man who just picked up his third Tony nomination in four years, this one in the category of Best Actor in a Musical for the musical adaptation of the 1993 film Groundhog Day that's currently running at the August Wilson Theater on 52nd Street, and a man who might well take home his first Tony Award on June 11th, the great Andy Carl. Carl, whose previous Tony nominations came for 2014's Rocky in the category of Best Actor in a Musical and 2015's On the 20th Century in the category of Best Featured Actor in a Musical, has had a remarkable journey to this point. But it's a journey that has never been more remarkable than it is at this very moment, when the dashing 43-year-old, who I've previously described as Broadway's version of Cary Grant, only buffer and with a great singing voice, is giving eight remarkable performances a week in Groundhog Day, despite tearing his ACL on the stage on April 14th, just 72 hours before opening night. Over the course of our conversation at the Empire Hotel, Carl and I discussed a wide range of topics. Among them, how a working-class kid from Baltimore found his way into local summer and dinner theater, what inspired his move to New York in 1994, and what he was up to during the six years before he landed his first Broadway gig there as a replacement in Saturday Night Fever, how just six months after joining that production, he wound up married to one of his co-stars, the actress Orfe, with whom he would also later appear on Broadway in Legally Blonde, what it's like stepping into an already up-and-running Broadway smash, which he did as a replacement in Wicked and Jersey Boys, as opposed to helping to create a show from the ground up, as he did with the musical adaptations of Rocky and Groundhog Day, how his performance in On the 20th Century, in a part that Kevin Klein originated and won a Tony for 37 years earlier, helped to pave the way for Groundhog Day, what it's been like bringing Groundhog Day from London, where it was a smash hit at the Old Vic and Carl's performance was recognized with an Olivier Award, to New York, and what it's been like in New York since he went down with his gruesome injury several weeks ago, and then, to the disbelief of many around him, almost immediately got back up so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Andy, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We always begin by asking just a, a basic one. Where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Back, way back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. where I was born and raised in the suburbs. And well, I was born more in the, the city area. Mm-hmm. Then we moved to the suburbs. But my mother is a teacher. Mm-hmm. So she's she's taught everything from middle school, being a librarian to elementary music. Mm-hmm. And she also plays organ for her yeah. church. So music was all around in, in when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the attraction yeah. to music. And she had like the West Side Story and Jesus Christ Superstar albums and that kind of stuff. And my father is an appliance refinisher, housing contractor type of, type of uh, all, all handyman right. sort of thing. So, so you grew up around her musical influence i guess sounds like she's playing she's got other introducing you to some some broadway but you initially were not on this trajectory from what i've read you were kind of more athletic guy uh yeah I, that my brother was my older okay. brother was the superior athlete mm-hmm. he was the football guy and <laughs> so i sort of was pushed in thinking that i would be following his footsteps so yeah. then i got hit really hard <laughs> during football in high school and i never really was felt you know, this was my thing because my brother, he was, his size is also, he had a much more size than I had. I was just sort of like, you know, I had size, but I was skinny. Right. So when I got hit that hard, all of a sudden it came clear to me, I needed to be an artist. So I, I was actually like at the same time becoming involved with painting and, and drawing, uh, the arts were kind of like something I was very attracted to, uh, music, of course, from, the, from being at home. But then I, I went to Maryland Art Institute for a couple summers studying painting and drawing. And I, my, I'd also been singing in like the choir and stuff in mm-hmm. high school. So my life was sort of centered around the arts yeah. in that way. Always played baseball yeah. and soccer growing up, all that little league stuff, and then doing a little bit of high school stuff. And after that, I kind of like, I'm good. So if we showed up at one of your high school reunions and grabbed somebody and said, what would you have guessed Andy was going to do with his life? What would they have said? I wonder. I wonder <laughs> if that. They probably thought I'd be a stoner somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I just, I was a dreamer and I was a singer. I think people th- thought like, you know, you have something to do with singing and maybe teaching. And that's what I, I was actually in, went to Towson State University to sort of pursue teaching. Mm-hmm. Then I realized that was another thing I didn't want to do. <laughs> Not to say that teaching is no, a, no. a very, very nice uh, career, but it's something where I, I had the, I had the pull to perform. Right. Well, let's go back first to Towson High School. Where is this where you acted for the first time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Towson High School in the summer musicals is public high school. So, you know, we had these, I think they had two shows a year or something like that. And then the summer they would do a musical. And there was a little Abner and uh, what what else was there? Uh, Oklahoma. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there was this 
this kid, this other kid, and, and he would get all the lead roles. Evan Farmer, still remember his name. <laughs> Son of a bitch. He would always get the lead roles, and I would always be the villain. Right. Which I think is fantastic, actually. I was like, Al, could I be in that role? And that's that's actually really interesting, because I broke my foot in when I was Judd in Oklahoma. Really? Skateboarding, so I broke my foot. <laughs> you have some experience So I had a cast yeah. for the entire uh, run of the oh, show. Oh, you kept going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, it's, that's where that whole... Yes. Uh, uh, keep keep the show running yes. attitude came from but yeah i was general bull moose and lil abner to hit to evans lil abner <laughs> so yeah there was something there about like finding out that i could do characters and, right. and having a great time with that and then but this was not going to be a career path until you got into a little bit of trouble is that correct i mean yeah that before uh, getting into all the musicals and like my mother knew i could sing and yeah. everything but you know my brother and i we we were, you know, two boys in the family. <laughs> right, right, right. And so we would just do, you know, what boys do and, yeah. you know, get into trouble every now and again. But the one stupid thing is the one thing I got caught doing and uh, suspended for, from school for a couple of days was smoking in the boys room, which oh, is the total cliche. cliche. <laughs> and it was the first time. And it was like a friend of mine was in the bathroom when I was going to the bath. I was actually going to the bathroom, like, you know, in, yes. in, as people do. Yes. There he was smoking, <laughs> hands it to me. I'm like, okay, one puff, boom, vice oh. principal comes in, done. Did, did he go down too, though? Because he's slick. He's probably been caught before. <laughs> he ditched it and, like, he was, like, claiming I didn't do it. And <laughs> and I was just, like, sort of flabbergasted because I didn't know how to talk my way out of things right, then. Right, right. And I got pulled down and, and my mother came in. It was she, so my mother was like, okay, we need to keep you busy with yeah. things. So I got sort of... She wanted me to go audition for a kid's show, and I immediately auditioned. I got this lead role of Aladdin. Well, now, Aladdin. when you say a kid's show, though, yeah. we're talking about out of school, like more uh, uh, more Dur- professional type thing? Yeah, it was, it was like kids' performances in the summer were like, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon for an audience of children mm-hmm. and their parents, and they would do you know, like Aladdin, right, which is right, what, we, right. what we did at the White Marsh Dinner Theater. Gotcha. And it was my first role and, and I was the lead and I was like, wow, this is amazing. But mostly... Are they I, paying you at that point? They, I, I don't know how much it a was. I bucks, think it was yeah. being paid in like peanut butter right. jelly sandwiches or something. <laughs> but it was sort of a proud position to be employed as a singer. And it was my first job. But I, from, I found the family of theater there. Yeah. And that was the most important thing. And... I may have some chronology wrong here, but who is Toby Orenstein? Toby Orenstein runs Toby's Dinner yes. Theater in Columbia, Maryland. And it is it was a professional dinner theater. It was sort of like the next level up. It was yep. eight shows a week. Yes, there were servers and we could serve, but you weren't required to serve drinks to everybody. So but were you going right from that other dinner theater to this bigger one? Is that what it was? Like? I hit all of them in Baltimore. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you. I was on Pulaski Highway. All at the while you were still in high theater. school or oh, now? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So that when I found the family of theater, I knew this is what I wanted to and do. And you went all, all It right. was an immediate spark of, of what I wanted to be involved with. And it kept it, it, it a it kept me out of trouble yeah. but b it, it gave me something to pursue in life yeah. um, that was that that one time where i really thought like this is an occupation i i want to do but toby's was the next level up yeah. where it's i got out of high school and now i'm i'm in college but over at Towson I university s- still near yeah, baltimore i was hired to do this show eight shows a week which required full time mm. 
So I did two years of college. Then I decided I want to pursue this and see what happens. And that's sort of where it jettisoned. Who is Todd Perthree? Is that pronouncing it correctly? Todd Perthree, yes, yeah. that is correct. He, he was the first person while I was doing a show. I was doing Grease at Towson State University, another like summer mm-hmm. musical. That's what mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. College productions tend to have a lot of lot more you know production value, and there's people who are studying this, so we're all trying to do it well. Mm-hmm. And hired in as the lead for that one as well which you know I was very grateful for also sort of intimidated but it was my you know you know there was a lot of pressure at that point yeah. at that time yeah. and Todd Perthree who he's he's one of those directors he's very smart but he's also very cynical and he's also very he doesn't like to waste time right, so right. you know if he's talking to you, you it's like you better be mind your p's and q's <laughs> right and i never expected this to come from him, but he's, he pulled me aside one day. He's like, you know, I, I really think you should try pursuing this. I, he, he gave me that speech, mm-hmm. which I wasn't expecting. And I still remember it to this day. And it's sort of stuck in there, stuck in my head. And I will never forget that. Cause that's really the, that was a time where I was like, let's, let's do this. Let's Cause at that point you shot. were what a sophomore or something. Yeah. Sophomore in, in or just going into probably so- between sophomore and, and what would be, would have been junior. Yeah. Year. Yeah. It was, it, or maybe it was freshman. Actually, Something freshman like that. Year. But so ultimately the thing that comes of that is that you make this decision. You're going to go give it a shot in New York. Yep. And so you come out in 1994. Just logistically, what did that entail? Luckily, I had met a, a friend who was in sort of in the same circuit as I was. She had moved up here before me, and she was renting a very small apartment. You know, this is the New York okay. excursion dream that you have. I had about three grand in my wallet <laughs> and just sort of like... The dream to come up here and, and try it and yeah. look at Backstage Magazine and look at all the auditions and just start going. Yeah. And I knew from the, just to the fact that, like, I, yes, I studied music, but I'd never really studied acting in musical theater. I, I sort of just came upon it through experience and through working at all those dinner theaters. So I had a little bit of yeah. experience that yeah. way, but I knew I had a lot to learn. Yeah. So any job that I would get, it was like I would just soak in everything and I would talk to the lead actors who were equity actors hired from New York. Because at that point, you're out here, and from 1994, I guess, until 2000, I think your Broadway debut was, was in 2000. What happened in the interim? You you have to get an agent. You have to, were you, what, oh, what sure. kind of work were you doing in those, those years? You know, you start off doing... Of course, one of the first jobs I got was a dinner theater yeah. called the Carousel Dinner Theater <laughs> out in Akron, here? Ohio. Oh, Akron, really? Ohio. Oh, so yeah. you left town... Yeah, there was there was a lot of leaving town okay, to go do these, back. these yeah, very yeah. quick gigs that yeah. were like maybe two months at yeah. a time because they had these they they do cir- circuits of shows yeah. at these places and most of them you know big musicals yeah. so there would be in the ensemble just you know and you know having I get a few lines yeah. and thinking I was this was great you know it was, it was great it was great to have a few lines to yeah. say you know be a part of the process right. so you know shows there shows in like. In Pennsylvania. Oh, man, I forget the names of these theaters. That are. <laughs> and back then you would acquire points or something to get your equity card. Okay. So you would work at several weeks. So you even get those from the dinner theater. Yeah, well, yeah because they were, they were equity yeah. houses. They would yeah, hire yeah. equity. So it would be about like, you know, the, they'd hire all these non-equity actors yeah. to come in. And 
and we, I don't know how we did it, but we would check off the points and here's my employment and I'd go to equity and here's my 180 weeks or what, I don't remember how, 18 weeks it could have been and under for, certain employment. For somebody who's not in, in this business or familiar with it, what is the value of attaining equity status? What is the value of attaining equity status? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, equity is a is a union that yeah. c- covers your medical expenses okay, so that's uh, mostly, right. and uh, <laughs> but it's also this sort of form of community that now you are sort of a professional equity actor. There are things required of you, but there's also thing it, you know you have to cert- work a certain amount of weeks to stay in equity. Yeah. So it actually pushes you and drives you to find better and better projects and to make yourself better and better in in the interim. So. From there, that was just a sort of a status that became a thing that I, I wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. I, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people in non-equity shows out there yeah. that are, you know, living their dream yeah. as well. Yeah. I've done plenty of yeah. them, so yeah. I, I I felt just as good doing those shows as I do now. I think uh, equity just has standards, yeah. especially like you don't have to wash your own costumes, <laughs> that kind of thing. Maybe you do, right. but uh, <laughs> it becomes there's certain requirements upon everybody to become right. better, and that's sort of how it just kept going. A quick dinner theater aside do you get dinner when you work at dinner theater or you, can. you can yeah but I mean, you pay for it there's leftovers oh, there's le- <laughs> yeah oh we we still have a lot of chicken leftovers right. so that's what you're eating that night okay. come on now cut- i was cutting my teeth <laughs> right right so now how do you get an agent what's the what was the thing that made that possible i was on the tour of cats yes which is now across the street from where i work that's now, right from some from some tugger yeah, yeah. there's a girl who's playing grizabella in the show she had an agent they came out to see her, and she introduced me to them, and, and that's what it was. It was just like, hi, how are you? And I would really like to, you know, pursue, you know, having an agent. They, they immediately signed me. It was, it was great. Came back to New York and had a lot of money saved from cats. And yeah. from then on, they and I, like, worked on getting the next project. And that would have been Saturday Night Fever? Was that the big thing that came from having an agent the cool thing came from saturday night which Uh, was sondheim saturday night off broadway and that was basically my first in town big show was Mm -hmm. working with sondheim Mm -hmm. were you actually working with sondheim sondheim was there wow i was i was the swing i was one of the swings so i didn't the other guys were working directly with him but i was there and i was like this is the coolest thing ever i'm working with you know Stephen Sondheim and, yeah. and on one of my first off-Broadway shows. And there was clearly all, a ton of respect on all sides. And Kathleen Marshall was directing as well. And there were some great actors that were that were in that piece. And actually, Matthew Warchus's wife was in that. <laughs> so that's how I knew her before that's uh, so funny. he knew her. So, <laughs> so that was well-received off-Broadway. And then how do you first hear about this opportunity? They're looking for a replacement for Joey, Tony Monero's buddy in Saturday Night Fever on Broadway, where you had never worked prior to that. It's, it's true. I had also, when I came back to New York and was and was doing Saturday Night, before I started doing the show, I had tried to see as many Broadway shows mm-hmm. as I could. So, But that was in like the Footloose era. Yeah, yeah. So my wife, Orfe, yes. was in that show. She was actually, had taken over for the the one of the rusty in that show. So we I should say your wife in the future. She was not future, yet. She's not my wife yes. at that, that point. Yeah. So I had seen her in Footloose. I was like, who is this <laughs> badass right. killing it up right. there? And then I saw, I kept seeing more shows. I saw Saturday night fever and I saw her 
tear down the house mm-hmm. with uh, if I can't have you and as as Annette in that in that role and I just you know enamored by her and I would just stare at her photo outside of the wow. st- outside of the stage door not you know not really realizing that I would someday be there but I knew in the pursuit of seeing something like Saturday Night Fever and I was going to dance class a lot a lot and I was like this is this is the energy I want yeah. this is what I want to do and I respect it so much and I see these these guys up there just having a blast and having this amazing show. It was about that energy, and that's kind of that's that's kind of energy I like. I still like to use mm-hmm. is uh, something that that's as big as like a Saturday Night Fever, yeah. and it was it was just great. And so I somehow got an audition. It was me and Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block were uh, <laughs> auditioning for the uh, replacement, and I was like, "How's Joe, Joey Max here?" This right. is, so. <laughs> Seeing all the, you know, coming across all these things, you, you realize that celebrities and, and, and people who are in equity and, and people who seemed sort of this unattainable status, I was just, you know, running into yeah. as I was, you know, pursuing my career. Yeah. And you realize that you'd become on the same level, mm-hmm. essentially, or mm-hmm. you're getting to that yeah. level. And it just, you know, kept building confidence. And so you remember how you found out you'd gotten the part? Yeah, I think I was doing some non-equity show at the time. I was like, I gotta leave you guys. I actually got a big Broadway show, and uh, <laughs> and I got the call, and it was just kind of amazing. And the rehearsal—I'd never been in a Broadway rehearsal situation where it was, you know, it's like you and the dance captain learning a whole bunch of choreography for Saturday Night Fever. It was exhausting, and I and I can't I can't say that I was such a technical dancer that I knew everything I was doing, but there were a lot of lifts in that right, show. Right. Again, like back in the day when I was learning right. all the time, I'm, I was still learning yeah, so much yeah. all at once, trying to push fear away mm-hmm. and just like, let's get this and make this happen. So that was a, an incredible experience, very exhausting. And then becoming really, you know, so much elation from doing a show and being on Broadway. And I, had, I again, when I was, I walked down on stage and much like high school, when I got my first laugh from an audience and a Broadway audience the best feeling ever. Oh, and <laughs> I was going to ask you, do you remember anything specifically about that night you made your debut? I remember nailing my uh, triple turn. <laughs> then I had one line that was kind of like, you know, Joey throws out a line. I think he's talking about some some chick that Tony is <laughs> seeing. He's like, yeah, you nailed something, something derogatory. But the audience <laughs> laughed. Right. And I was like, oh. I was like, oh. A couple left on Broadway. Oh my God! You um, made it, yeah. And yeah, it's still true to this day. Anytime the audience laughs at things, I'm just so it's energy. It's, yeah. it's food for my soul. Now, in the meantime, you are now working alongside this aforementioned actress in Saturday Night Fever, who you'd had some attraction to. Mm-hmm. And six months later, you're married. How did yeah. what what the hell happened so quickly there? Um, as I was getting into the show <laughs> and preparing for the show, the hair designer for the show, you know, my hair is actually lighter naturally. <laughs> so they had to darken me up to make me right. Italian. Right. And I played more Italians on Broadway <laughs> right. than I can possibly imagine. Even in even in SVU and right. they were like, okay, you have to look like Peter Gallagher, so we're gonna dye your hair. I was like, can I not dye right. my hair for something? Did they bushy your eyebrows a little too? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's like and we pulled it off because I've heard so many people say, like, you guys look like you're related. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. okay. But the hair designer for Saturday Night Fever, I knew from something else, and he knew Orfe very well. So he would talk about us 
through him, mm-hmm. like, and then I would say something that we'll tell her. I say hello. Did you tell know? Her, so you knew this was an intermediary. So in some some form is like yes. you guys you guys are gonna like each other. Right. And you know when we first got there, and you know I was still like cutting my teeth and trying mm-hmm. to fit in and stuff like that. But Orfe was just being so sweet to me and really kind and really we were just laughing and really hit it off right away and started dating like a month later and then it was like. Boom, let's do it. Let's <laughs> let's jump in. I mean, much like this whole career, this yeah. whole whole, you know, wanting to pursue something. Right. You have to jump in and see what happens. And so, you know, twenty years later doing this stuff and sixteen years later married being married for sixteen years, you know, things have been consistent and wonderful. Yeah. Well, one thing though that I imagine might have been a little challenging then and, and must always I, I would imagine be a a tough thing when you're both performers is that so you guys get married like a couple weeks after Saturday Night Favorite closes right mm-hmm. and a week later you got to go on a national tour right yeah yeah and she was not <laughs> she was not no she was she's like I don't want to go on tour yeah <laughs> I had actually been on tour with Cats and with a non-equity version of Tommy, so I actually liked touring. I liked seeing the country, that kind of things. But also, they were to be connected with Saturday Night Fever, which was my first Broadway show. I thought, like, well, heck, here's the job they're offering me to go on tour, and they're going to be paying me. <laughs> it's like, gotta go where the work yeah, is. Yeah. It was one of those decisions that it's like, as I then I went out, and then I realized like this kind of sucks being away from mm-hmm. each other for so long. And she came out to LA or came out to like a couple places we were at, but it still was just like sort of, we were newly married, but I was also, but we're both in pursuit of career. Right. So, right. And, and, and work, whatever career is, I don't yeah, know what yeah, career yeah. is anymore. It's just, it's more like, <laughs> let's just work. Right. So it worked out fine. It was, but uh, I, I was so whole, so committed to doing that show. And that's really one thing I just care about in my life is like the show must go on. Yeah. So stuck with it, barely remember any of it, just sort of <laughs> did it and came right. back. We ended up doing a show intermittently during, I took a break from Saturday Night Fever where Orfe and I could work together in, in Philadelphia for a couple of weeks or mm-hmm. a month. Then I went back on tour for a couple more months and then I was back. And so Saturday Night Fever, your involvement was like starting around 2000 when it was on Broadway, then national tour for what like a year or so after that something like that yeah. and then what i'm just trying to see here is so you and and Orfe ended up working together again in legally blonde mm-hmm. which is 2007 mm-hmm. but in the meantime again just so people can kind of appreciate i think they they see you when you're on broadway and so they're oh andy you know there he is again but there are sometimes periods of time between these shows when you guys have to you know you find other things to grind out and do and whatever. So in that interim between interim period between Saturday Night Fever and Legally Blonde, what's it, a lot of off-Broadway stuff or what was going on then? You know, wherever the jobs were, I think I I did, gosh, these are just great career moves, happy days <laughs> at the Falcon Theater, but working with the late Gary Marshall, right, right. which was awesome. I took over, full circle, took over for Joey McIntyre. Oh my God. Can, yeah, this, this is a very strange, <laughs> right, weird, weird world. Right. He, he, he was doing it out there, and then they called me up because I had auditioned for it a while back and went back out there. After that, came back and jumped right into The Wedding Singer for like six months or something mm-hmm. like that. And those those in-between times, I'm sure I was working. I can, you know, 
it, it becomes one of those things where, you know, the gypsy actor comes out and you're just like, where's the work? Yeah. You got to find it, especially when you're just trying to establish more and more of your name. And that's really that's really the biggest thing on my side, you know, through the past years is is gaining relationships with people and they, they know they can trust me and I can trust them. And but when there's something like a period of seven years between Saturday Night Fever and, and the next time you're on Broadway with Legally Blonde, how much of it is I'm happy because I'm working and doing things that I enjoy and how much of it is I'm concerned am I going to get back to be on Broadway again? You know, there's always, never ever do I not finish a job and think, oh, I'm set. I'm going to get those phone calls. I'm going to be rolling in right now. I'll be pushing people away. Right. I I don't think any actor must feel that way. I mean, maybe Morgan Freeman. Maybe he can relax. Right, right. Because they'll just call him up to do a voiceover or something. But there's no actor out there. I don't even think there's any job that's like, I'm so secure. Right. I'm going to get my pension. We're going to be great. It's about about finding the next thing. But that's also the... That's the energy of of an actor, which is great because mm-hmm. we are in when we're even when we're doing a show, we're thinking about four other things that we can be working on to mm-hmm. progress whatever else we have got writing going on. Music backstage, writing stuff, music. Yeah. I was, but you know, in that before League of Mon was also Alter Boys, which was one of the greatest experiences. It was an off Broadway show, and it was, but it was it was a show about being together as a, as a team and becoming close as actors and close as, as friends and, uh, and close as their characters on stage mm-hmm. that I learned a lot just from doing that show. Yeah. And, and, and that was the energy I wanted to do. And it was also a very good showcase right. for all of us. Right. It was so much a showcase that that's when Jerry Mitchell came to see it. That's when Jerry Mitchell said, do you want to be in Legally Blonde? I right. think you, you'd be great. And whatever I put you in, I was right. like, yeah, let's do it. So it became that. And then from Legally Blonde, Joe Mantello saw me and put me in 9 to 5. Right, right. And from there, it's like, you know, he put me in Wicked after that okay. closed. And <laughs> so, again, that whole it's thing is like, yeah. I, I never, I've never felt like I've been so unsuccessful and I've had a terrible right, career right, right, right. In, in any case, well, in any no, setting. It's no. just been a, been a matter of like... I love this. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. Yeah, it's tur- it's turned into different things since uh, since those days. And I've not. I also like to learn as much as I can about everything, mm-hmm. including writing music, mm-hmm. including acting. So I've I've had great opportunities in the last just five years that yeah. have changed my whole perspective yeah. of of what I what I do. Well, let's let's just briefly go through so a, a few of these others now that you be- you were becoming kind of a regular guy here on Broadway with. I guess starting Legally Blonde, you're playing the UPS delivery man who attracts the character played by Orfe. Yep. In part with the with one iconic line, which you might we might prompt well, you. Yeah, that, that was the, the UPS guy as they deliver. This one says, "I've got a package," <laughs> and it's you know it's supposed to be you know an right, innuendo right, as right, well. Of course. And yes. I played the hilt out of it and getting right. that laugh. That was a good was, one. It was a great laugh. Right. And working every night now, eight times a week with your with your wife. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a healthy thing when you're now? You know, it's one thing when you're attracted and you're kind of courting somebody or whatever. But now you're. It's was it fun or do you sometimes need a little bit of a separation between home and no, work? No, we've had plenty of yeah. separation. So yeah. it's like when we can be in the same place at one time on the same schedule. That's easier, right. way easier. And it's you know good to walk home with somebody. You know? Yeah, it just gives you the opportunity to 
be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Right now, we we don't. She has to. You know, she's she's waiting me for me to finish the show every mm-hmm. night. But she's also got. She's doing her voiceover. Yeah. She's doing workshops. She's doing all sorts of stuff. Right. That make us see each other in the night like hi gotta go to sleep see you in the morning I gotta go now to the next thing so that ends up being weirder and harder because now it's more important for me to like make those dinner dinner dates and tell her I love her every day and sort of so just make sure that I'm I'm connecting sure so you you mentioned Joe Mantello is the thread that leads to nine to five I guess having seen you in, in Legally Blonde you do that then there was this string of, of things that we should we should mention where you were a replacement in some of the biggest shows that have ever existed on Broadway and certainly in this century. So you go in 2010 in Wicked. Joey McIntyre was also in that. Well. Was it? That's right. I'm just I'm putting it all <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah, we got to keep it going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then 2011, you're Tommy DeVito, the 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 black sheep in Jersey Boys, mm-hmm. which goes basically. Through 2013, with the exception of a few months when you went and did the mystery of Edwin Drood, mm-hmm. which that one, I guess, in a way, really seems like a turning point, right? Because you got a lot of individual recognition for that, and want to talk about that. But first of all, I think we got to just go back to what is it like when you're when you're stepping into what is already a monster hit like a Wicked or a Jersey Boys? Is that intimidating? No, those are very two different. Totally different experiences. Going into Wicked, I already felt going into it that it was like this global thing. It was something that needed to be a certain way, in a certain type of show, in a certain... There was parameters of, of things I could do. And and by this time, I was like, I was used to like, let's make up something that'll hit home right. on, a, on a different level. It's my own yeah. thing. So it's not that they squelched it as opposed to like we have to keep it the context right. of the show Constrain because it, it. Yeah. now and forever wicked right and it is a beautiful show yes yeah. i i actually like was able to sit in the orchestra at times because i had time off stage mm-hmm. i was able to watch a lot of the scenes from off stage and just watch the magic of that show and also watch the heart of that show and i think it's it's I mean, there's some friends that I have that like, oh, you know, it's all fluff and stuff. It's like, no, this actually is, is a very deep story. And right. um, it's it hits home to a lot of people. So I sort of experienced that as well as I could and wore, and wore the tight white pants as best <laughs> I could and sang the song as best I could. I, I never felt like it was mine right. in that experience. On the other side of it, Jersey Boys, I felt when I saw it, I was like, I know what I can do with this role. And there's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of monologuing to the audience and cutting into to song and, and and sort of like finessing a lot of the stuff that needs to be, that you have to own. So I felt like as soon as I got that, I, 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 know, all the, I know all the lines, I know how this is going to work, but I know that there's some of the stuff that I'm watching right now. I know the jokes can land a lot harder if you're playing that guy that everybody loves to hate, who has got who's got a lot of charm. Right. So it was in that sense I was able to fr- be free with the with the character. Obviously, staying within the parameters of how the show works that is another global thing. But if you don't have those four guys have a dynamic on stage, you're not going to feel what you feel every night watching that show and and I know from just just experiencing it and I that's when I had such a great time with those guys as well I knew I knew we needed to connect on yeah. a on a friendship level and on stage yeah and there was a lot of ping pong going out there so it was great 
So in in those two shows, I learned a great deal, and I'm constantly learning every yeah, yeah, show yeah. that I do. I don't want to do something where it's like you know old hat. Yeah. So replacing it was actually a great experience for me, and I was you know used to that back in the days when I did Cats. Right, so, uh, right. I understood it, and Starlight Express right, back right, in the day. Right. So I thank Andrew Lloyd Webber for the employment. employment. <laughs> now, what was it though about Edwin Drew that convinced you to step away from Jersey Boys for? I don't know if you knew when you stepped away that it was for a finite period of time and you would come back or, but what was it that, that even brought that about in the first place? I didn't know I'd come back, but Scott Ellis called me directly to look at me for this role. And I was like, how, I don't, I don't get it. Like here's, here's the thing that directors have that I don't understand. And maybe if I were put in that position to hire people, I would get is how they see it. I still Groundhog Day. I was not like, how do you see this? I, and and it works out great. Right. So being cast in it with Drew, it was sort of a prestige for. It was part of Roundabout. It was it was right. part of a, an organization that does great theater and also hires top notch people. Yeah, yeah. That's where I met Cheetah Rivera, yeah. who became a dear friend, and and Will Chase, and 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 all those guys who were in that show just. And young talent, talents. too, right? It's you and Jesse Mueller. You yeah, done and Jesse okay. Mueller. We just, we, we hit it off, and right. we would have ridiculous amount of fun on stage. And she just took off in her in, in her career. Mm-hmm. And, and, and spoke, you know, still two people that I, I consider myself humble in the presence mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. is talent and this whole amazing thing with Broadway. But Jesse Mueller, just as humble and, and being, being able to, you know, have the trajectory and be humble, which is... Is a great thing to have. Mm-hmm. It's something that, you know, working with somebody like Cheetah Rivera, you you go, wow, here's this legend. She's still rocking it out and and giving 110 percent, and still just as as accessible as a person mm-hmm. as can be. And so, you know, she she taught me a lot. She's still teaching me a lot, mm-hmm. especially like from my injury recently. Yes. Yeah. It's like here's someone who wrote she me letters and texted me and still and her leg had been shattered yeah. and she came back right yeah Car so it's so she had respect for that yes. for what I was doing right. I was like you have respect for me because I have nothing but respect right. for you <laughs> and just a few months ago we had done uh, the uh, Carnegie Hall concert that she right. that was she just kind of Carnegie Hall concert and she asked me to be part of that so you know it's it's all in respect sure. you know coming from you know the dinner theater days to now it's it's a really Oh, great leap in those experiences quick jump back for one second to mm-hmm. Jersey Boys that almost just even the opportunity to audition to do that almost did not happen right oh I'm sure well in the sense like literally it L- seemed like it yeah. was kind of a curse there I I sort of like that was one of those points where I was like I don't I don't have any work my agents hey do you guys know of anything going on they asked they said like yeah well actually they're auditioning for Jersey Boys great so I go there. the The first time I go to audition, I think there was the what, what was it? What was that? It was one of the hurricanes. Something. It wasn't. It wasn't Sandy, but it was. It was yeah. a hurricane, so it couldn't go that day. The next time it happened. Uh, next time I was able to go back, one of the biggest earthquakes that's hit New York <laughs> right, happened. So right. that day didn't happen. It was. It was really strange how things worked out that way. Almost, you know, the gods telling me not to right, go do it do. or something. <laughs> but I stand in defiance of all the gods. Now. Sure. The last four years, which happened to coincide with when I've been covering this stuff and have really been paying attention, this is why I'm, I'm particularly curious about these next questions that are coming up because I've sort of seen the the fruits of what we're about to talk about. So Rocky was was on Broadway in 2014. It actually, though, took 
a number of years, like longer than usual, and longer than many instances, to come to fruition. You first heard about it, uh, and again, this is a musical version of rock you first heard about in 2011. How did it cross your radar, and, and, and how did you go after it? My agent, Richard Schminner from Paradigm, mm-hmm. who's actually, he just retired. Mm-hmm. He knows everything that's going on. So he <laughs> said, he says, they're auditioning for Rocky the Musical. And, and like many of, I'm sure your, your listeners are, probably thought, what a bad idea. <laughs> I, I certainly was like, really? Is it, is it going to be like a sarcastic, you know, pun about this show? Should I, should I come in with a side of beef and, <laughs> and hit it? So he, he told me, it's very serious. Stallone is involved. Aaron's and Flaherty are involved, and how these were, you know, names of people that were are are huge, mm-hmm. bigger than big. So okay, they're taking it seriously. Then I went back and watched the film and realized how intimate the film is, and really took a good look at it, and really looked at these characters for what they are, and you know, think then sort of standing in awe of like how Stallone came up with this and pursued it, and how he got the movie done, and also the humility of of that character. That totally intrigued me. They sent me the music and the sides, which were just beautiful, like intimate stories. And then the music is was epic in, in, in many ways. So I went in and immediately when I, when I was getting prepared to audition, I was like, I, this feels right. Something about this feels like it connects with me. You know, I could... I could drop into my low baritone. I could stay there. This is, you know, all those, all those musicals that used to be great in in the old days. The baritone songs mm-hmm. were powerful. Baritone ideas were. That's sort of where yeah. I learned everything. Yeah. Everything became tenor after right, that, you know, right, with Wicked's and right, all that kind of right. stuff. So I was able to sort of sit in that and feel comfortable in it, and also f- sort of see a mountain in front of me with Stallone at the top mm-hmm. of it. And I said, "Is this the time when I just..." I climb mm-hmm. the freaking mountain <laughs> and ask that trainer over there. I need, I need you. I need to look, you know, as right. big as I can and ask myself, like, what can I do? How, am I ready for this? I'm when I want to tear down everything and climb mountains. And, and this is just to get the part. Forget yeah, about what you. Yeah, I want to show everybody what I what I got. Yeah, that's that's also, you know, a, a humble, beautiful character with mm-hmm. a lot of heart. So I audition and I think. Oh, I sent in a video audition from Atlanta when I was doing some movie, and it didn't come out very big. But they they saw something with the little two and two inch screen that <laughs> right. they were looking at, right. and then called me back. And it was like I think we all realized it in the room, it, that including was Stallone gonna, was in the room at that. Stallone point, right? was not in the room, not yet. He came to the reading, the first reading, okay, at Juilliard, and I realized, you know, after about. I don't know, two weeks of rehearsal while we're doing the reading and we're, you know, and I'm like, yo, how you doing? And, <laughs> and Stallone walks in and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do this, my voice in this character right. five feet away from where he's uh. sitting. <laughs> and I was just something about it. I was like, this is going to be, to me, it seemed funny yeah. to, to, to do this. Yeah. It's a once in a lifetime experience. And it was great. He's, and he was like, how you, you had doing? the part already or not yet? I, I was doing the reading. Okay. So I so had, yes, yes. I had it for that. Right. The un- There's that, no guarantees right. for anything else. And in fact, what ended up happening was that for whatever their reasons, I guess, I, I don't recall why they decide we're going to do this in Germany first. Yeah. Meaning yeah. we got to get a guy that speaks German. Speaks German. Yeah. So therefore for whatever the period that was going to be a year, it had gone away from you after yeah. all this work, and there's no promise that it's coming back, right? No, I think that was one of those things where I really fell in love with the role, and it was it was like, ah, this is a bad position to be in where it's going to go away for a year and come back. And 
I'm I'm not in that echelon of of actors who like he's that name that's going to push this through. I at was, that time, at that time, and so you know, I was just worried for a year. I was sort of like talking talk, talking myself down off of you well, know because let's just talk this through. If if it does well in Germany, yeah. Then maybe they can come get a, a big, big name here. Well, also the uh, actor in Germany could is, was an American actor who'd been over there for a long time. So he spoke English. So he spoke and he could very well have come back. And, and if it and, didn't and, do well, who's going to want to do it on Broadway? Yeah. I mean, I their, their, their challenge, their mission was to bring it back mm-hmm. always. So, But I was told it was going to be a year till that happens. And so that's, you know, it was, it was a waiting game for that. And, and when the, the call came through and I, I actually went back to the callbacks for it to come back a year later, and so you had to win it all over again. Yeah, I was like, I'm not losing this. So, yeah. and I had trained, I had gone into training before that just to like get a little size on, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, this is my, this is mine. Mm-hmm. I had to feel that way, and if I if if I didn't get it, it would suck. But if right. I got it, it's, at least I worked for right. it. it. Taught me a lesson to like, you know, if you're in pursuit of something, really, you know, give yourself a give yourself a kick in the pants and do it. Well, let's. So this this brings us to what. I have pieced together from various interviews was a very interesting, basically like 24 hour period on or about like June 9th, 2013. There were several crazy things happening within like a day or two in your life then, right? You're doing a movie with Michael Douglas and oh, Rob yeah, Ryan. Yeah. I, was, I was in Jersey. I was back in Jersey Boys after Drood. Right. Because I loved the show a lot. It was still like a, a big part of my right. love falling in love with acting. And then I got hired to do a movie with Rob Reiner directing and Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton starring. And, and I was heading out to Connecticut because I had the days to shoot and then come back and do the show, Jersey Boys at Night. But I was heading back for my first day of shooting. And that's when I got the call from my agent that I had just booked Rocky. So I was sort of living this actor's dream movie we're also working at night and I just got hired for the one of the biggest shows I'm, I've ever been up for and that night or the next night or something like right in that same period was the you're in the opening number of the Tonys oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we had done the Tonys the night before I was going out right so the front page of like the Connecticut Times right. or whatever was sitting on the table in front of and Rob Reiner's reading it and I'm I'm on the front picture doing with, the opening you know with like my picture with the Jersey Boys right. we're doing the opening number which by the way I just rewatched this is the opening of the 2013 Tonys which today there have been you know kind of articles and things this is probably the greatest opening of any award show ever this is like can you tell people what they missed in, in short like all of Broadway and yeah. Neil Patrick Harris, right? Everybody was on stage. Yeah. And Neil Patrick Harris, yeah. I think it's the, the Tonys does it right. I mean, look, it's it's the greatest amount of people with so much talent on stage all at once. Right. That's something good's gotta come out of it. I mean, I really like I like the Oscars and mm-hmm. I like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I like all those award shows. But I mean, with when you watch the Tonys, it's it's kind of it's like, different. you know, you could you have a, a unique experience to watch some incredible talent. I think a lot of the award shows are, are getting bigger and bigger. The mm-hmm. Olivier's is getting bigger yeah, and bigger. Yeah. They're doing they're at the Royal Albert Hall now. Yeah, so yeah. it's 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 production value. It's also this kind of stuff makes for great theater. Well you go to the Oscars, you don't see people performing their scenes. You go to the yeah. Grammys, they might sing a song. But here you're you know, this is you're seeing why people are being recognized there. Yeah. But but anyway, so you coming back, so that was the day you find out you've got you've got the part in Rocky. It's now gonna be a sixteen point five million dollar 
show, which is significantly large, you're originating it from a classic movie that people know and love. And, you you know, we've talked about some of the physical work that goes into just looking the part, but then you've got to play the part every night where one boxing scene is five minutes, another's 20 minutes at the end, the, the unbelievable finale. There's a reason that there haven't been many boxing movies on Broadway because it's so hard probably just to stage, let alone to beat somebody up. And so when you're, you know, getting ready to go into this, what was your feeling? Are you confident? Are you concerned? Are you nervous? Like, what was the what was the vibe here? I mean, any any movie to musical transfer comes with a bit of a skepticism for audiences. They go, and especially something like Rocky, which is hugely iconic, yeah. and that character is just such a staple in people's brains that staple in a brain, that's a weird saying. <laughs> I'm going to trademark in that one. Right, <laughs> It was sort of like, okay, let's see how this does. But I also think that it did not get its just due mm-hmm. as far as the stagecraft was really astounding. Yeah. I mean, people do remember the last 20 minutes of the show mm-hmm. because it was the most incredible thing where this ring came down from the ceiling, took over the first eight rows of the audience. The, the audience got to, got up and sat behind like they were in a real it was event. And the way that everything worked the way it did was, was an, an enormous amount of effort. But in that frame, how do you advertise this type of thing? How do you sell it to make it, you know, something that people will just come see and see and see? So there's a whole bunch of things that have to fire correctly in order for a musical to get where it is. So, Mm -hmm. but my job was I'm Rocky, find the heart, find the truth of all these Mm -hmm. things. Don't, if you're going to. If you're going to talk like this, it better sound like it's coming from your heart. You know what I'm saying? Because I can still drop into it now and I can still talk to you like I'm actually Rocky because that's what Stallone did. Stallone, when he saw the reading for the first time, was talking the way that Stallone does, which is low, but it's not Rocky. Then he dropped into Rocky to show me how the character is. His eyes sort of glazed over his his mouth became a little bit more of a draw and his shoulders started moving. I saw everything that he did to create that character mm-hmm. and I did everything I could to sort of find that Rocky in me. And mm-hmm. so I, I took a lot of what he was doing. But still made it your, your, your own. Still, not, still, yeah. still, you still make it, it's it's all about Rocky's heart so it right. has to have truth and it right. has to have comes from someplace deep inside of you. To that point, I would like to quote your wife uh, on something about your, you at the time. Quote, my dear darling sweet husband is a method actor, so there was definitely a gloomy cloud over the home during Rocky. Andy's a really funny guy. He's funny at home. He's funny everywhere. And it was the one time he wasn't funny. He didn't have that lightness about him. He was really tired. He was getting hit in the head 50 times a day. I won't say he was unpleasant to be around, but that was the most different he's ever been in our marriage because Rocky was coming home. Andy Carl was not coming home at that point, close quote. Does that yeah. sound, well, from I mean, your perspective, is that correct? Every, every night was a fight. I'm getting beat in the head, and sometimes I get hit pretty Actually hard. Actually hit, right. Um, but it's I, choreographed, but it's you, choreographed. you can't do everything. It's all full yeah. contact, but yeah. it's choreographed, so we know how to roll with the punches, and we don't, like swing as hard as we can sometimes there was a percentage of these hits that would come because instinctually in our bodies when we're hitting if you get like a little energy behind it it'll come rock you and i I like blacked out for like a second every now and again or i'd get hit really hard where my neck would be like wow yeah so i would talk back with punches and i'd hit harder to his body (laughs) it's like please don't hit me harder i will hit you as well so in that sense, if you watch the first couple scenes of Rocky, he starts off with a fight and then he goes home, ices his head, 
turn looks at a sort of like your place where he just wants to lay down mm-hmm. not deal with anything talk to his turtles <laughs> i would talk to my dogs <laughs> and i would go ice my you know my neck and and sort of that's that was my life for yeah. you know for nine months or something like that from rehearsals till then and so you know to some extent this was really bearing fruit you got rave reviews you get your first tony nomination for best actor in a musical but what I think you were referring to a, a few moments ago about the challenges of of selling a, a musical any in any situation, but let, but now one that is based on Rocky and it's playing at a place as large as the Winter Garden, the show was struggling to make money, right? And I remember people speculating at the time that this was maybe because women don't want to see a show about boxing and men are reluctant to see a musical. So that doesn't leave you with a lot of other people. It killed me, though, so I can't even imagine for you because anyone who did see it was just blown away by the whole the yeah. whole spectacle of it yeah. and the whole thing. So I just wonder, you know, it, it sounds like it was a very tough thing when you've put years of your life into bringing this thing to fruition and then just nine months into it, you're... You're having, and when you guys are, couldn't be doing anything, it's not like somebody wasn't pulling their weight. You're just hearing that it's not, it's not performing. Yeah. I mean, look, that's the hardest, one of the harder parts of doing anything in this entertainment business is the amount of time that you spend doing it to prepare it to be something great. And then you just, once you, once it's out there, you kind of have to let it see how how audiences are going to like it, how it's going to play, how it's going to sell. That's part of the territory. I did everything I could to, mm-hmm. to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so the people who did see it had an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. They were screaming Rocky at the end. Mm-hmm. They're cheering for me. I'm bloodied. I'm, I'm sweating. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the experiences like I felt good about yeah. what I did. Yeah. So I don't, I don't look back at it in any sort of regret of like, how do we not sell? That's totally my fault. Right. Or, it was just, a, again, like I said, it takes so many things to fire correctly for a show to become a hit. But I, I still I still look back at it as like I, I found something, a fire in me that maybe I had like from doing this for so long, maybe I, I needed to find that fire and climb that mountain and realize that this is the kind of stuff it takes to become next, to take yourself to the next yeah. level. and. It did not knock you down because a, a year later, you're back in on the 20th century with Kristen Chenoweth in a show that probably got the best reviews of yeah. of anything you've ever done, right? Yeah, yeah. So after Rocky, what happens? Oh, yeah. Was, I think it was like, it didn't even feel like a year. It was like six months, something. Anyway, probably yeah. after Rocky, anything felt like so well, was, just a little bit of rest Yeah, was great. But yeah, on the 20th century, another Scott Ellis directed yes. show. So he, I had, I had sort of a rapport with him, and it was route with Roundabout as well. Mm-hmm. And it was this again. It was another show that I was like, I'm not familiar with the show. Mm-hmm. Kevin Klein played it, so right. you know. Again, it's like, I feel like people call me now to step into big shoes. Yeah, Rocky, Jesus, yeah. Kevin Klein, <laughs> Bill now Murray. Bill Murray. It's something where. Maybe I have that sort of trust from people that they know that I'm going to bring stuff to yeah. it, but I'm not going to, like, you know, ruin it. Right. That's <laughs> kind of basically, that's what I tell myself every day. Just, just yeah. don't ruin it. <laughs> so, yeah, with On the 20th Century, a great chance to show off the comedy skills, which obviously, so, uh, you know, as my wife had said that, you know, I was I was rocky then, and now I was probably a little happier doing On the 20th Century. Just, uh, just because, to let just, people know, this was like a buffoonish Errol Flynn, like early days, Errol Flynn, sort of climbing movie star who's yeah. got a, an egotistical, like 
to the point of being hilarious. Yeah, it was it was it was pure ego. Right. It was pure purely <laughs> about his uh, shell and about right. you know making the next move to have the biggest star be yes. be the woman that he's with. He was <laughs> he was riding her coattails, much like I did with Christian Chenna with the yeah. actual. <laughs> and how's how's it working with her? It was great. It was uh, many people. I just I, when I was doing Rocky, I was like, okay, this is hopefully my my wicked moment right. where you get noticed and right. then people start like seeing that you can you know carry a show on your shoulders in that sense uh, and you know in some ways it did some yeah. ways it didn't at least they called me for 20th century to be paired up with her when I looked at the size of me at 6'2 and, and her <laughs> at 4 foot something um, I, I knew immediately this is going to be hilarious right um, and you were literally like bench pressing yeah, her I was, in the I was show. doing yeah. dumbbell lifts with her <laughs> and it was all sort of like you know physical and craziness that she right. and I both connect on, on a very big level. She's right. a big goofball yeah. and it's great. And uh, she, I mean, she's extremely talented, but also just like doesn't take herself seriously right. in, in the way where it's like, I'm right. such a star. Don't touch me. She takes her <laughs> career very seriously, right, right. but, but she's really a funny, funny girl. And, and so for you, that's second year in a row, you're a Tony nominee, best featured actor in a musical in this case. And I imagine that that is, you know, all of this is somewhat what what led the way to the Groundhog Day. Yeah, Matthew Warchus saw me in 20th Century. He knew I could be a buffoon, but he also knew I had a dark <laughs> side with some Rocky. And uh, right. he, they needed a comedian. They needed somebody who could handle the singing. The singing is kind of all over the place with Groundhog Day, from swing to like a rock ballad. I yeah. have to sing. Also, ha- be in that position of the responsibility of of being in that lead position, which is uh, you know it's it's a huge responsibility. I would say this show is just as physical. Yeah. Groundhog Day is just as physical as Rocky was. And on the 20th Century. You're doing a lot of yeah. physical yeah. stuff. Luckily, I had like, some offstage talent. Right, right, right. But, but here again with Groundhog Day, I'm offstage for maybe like three minutes yeah, of the entire insane. show. So it's a privilege, but it's another like get in there and work hard. And you were familiar with the movie, I imagine? Absolutely. Yeah. I grew up with some Bill Murray. Let me tell you, Ghostbusters was like, <laughs> I know this, like, I remember standing in line when I was a kid, like, for two showings of at the movie theater, oh, really? Ghostbusters was that big of a hit. Yeah, you'd have to wait to for like two showings of the movie <laughs> in order to go in for the next movie. Right. So and 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 Bill Murray's just he, he today he's still just like rocking out these great roles and having also he's got that wink in his eye yeah. all the time. Yeah. You never know if he's going to be a good guy or when you find the goodness within him, right. within him, it always comes with like a, a weight of someone who needs to get there. He's, you know, he's your ultimate Scrooge well, type the, of actor. The challenge that comes with the part of, of Phil Connors, this, this weatherman who ends up reliving Groundhog Day over and over, is that it seems to me like we have to reach the conclusion early on that Phil is a huge asshole, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Without coming to dislike him so much that he can't redeem himself. And when when it's Bill Murray, we know we have a history with Bill Murray before we see that. So maybe you're even less, you know, you, you kind of assume Bill's going to come around and redeem himself just because we know it's Bill. Mm-hmm. For you, who some of these people that are coming to see the show may not have seen before, did you feel that that was a, a big hurdle? How do you walk that line between making this guy so unlikable early on and yet not go over that line? It's one of my favorite things to do is play the the guy that everybody loves to hate. Um, <laughs> I found that in Jersey Boys. Again, like we're, we're talking about all these shows yeah. that I've done and pretty much 
putting them all in yeah. a big jar, yeah. shaking it up, drinking that before a show, and realizing <laughs> that it's everything that I've done ever right. in my life. Also coming with a with the actor's bitterness <laughs> about, oh, I didn't get that. Or it's like, I've been working so hard, don't right. get this, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff you can easily fall into the trap of thinking <laughs> as an actor, like how, how awful this career is. So uh, that was my way of finding the the bitterness of Phil right. Connors was just taking all the things that I avoid thinking of as an actor to stay a positive, mm -hmm. just grabbing onto the bad and just, you know, <laughs> making it apparent that I'm not happy to be there. Right. Um, and the town that appears on stage really is the happiest musical theater right, right, town. Right. <laughs> it's almost, it's almost so saccharine sweet because you're, you're hearing all these people sing this hilarious Punxsutawney song that Tim mentioned that Tim mentioned so great at writing a style of music that fits the type the type of people and they're all smiles and they're all happy to be there it's very easy for me to just play the, the <laughs> exact opposite right of I've even heard like people talking to me, was like, telling me I've had friends come to see a show I was like I didn't know I didn't there was no way you were going to be redeemed watching that first act there was I was like how is anybody going to like this right, guy right. and I was like awesome I did my job yes exactly. that's uh, that's where I, I I find a lot of I, I love that type of compliment. Right. compliment. So you guys initially did this at the Old Vic in London. You got yes. rave reviews. Eventually you you won the Best Actor in Musical Olivier. And Amazing. then you come here. And one question I had is just doing any show I would think is somewhat inherently repetitive. You've got to do this eight times a week usually, whatever. But then to also have to do the exact same things a million times within that show mm -hmm. Do you go a little bit crazy with this one? I I go really smart about it. Yeah, I I've had to be really smart about all the choices and about staying awake and aware, mm -hmm. never going on uh, any sort of like you're just taking my brain out of it and just playing whatever's happening because I I can't. So every night you're getting me fully aware, and any time that I might drift off a little, or, or I I always find myself immediately having to be grab back into the show because I have to remember that this is the first day right. when I say this line. The second day I come around and I change that up right. a little. The third day is a little bit different, but they're all they're all relatively the same movements, right. same actions. So what's easier about my part is that I'm linear. I can see what's happening all the time and I can change it up in order to to go to the next day. The other actors have to repeat a lot of stuff exactly like they yeah, did yeah, the, yeah. the next day and the next day. So that's I feel like their job is actually a little harder than mine in in that sense. But repeating it over and over again, the journey of Phil Connors is so beautiful to me. In so many ways, personally and professionally, it, I have nothing but joy every time I do it. Some days it's harder than others. As matinees, I wake up and it's, <laughs> it's like there's a big journey ahead yeah. of me. But by the end of the show, I just uh, and the audiences have just been so great in London as well as here, mm -hmm. unexpectedly amazing audiences. I knew how good it is. I just wanted people to see how yeah. good it is. So telling that story to people every night is that yeah. gets me through. With our with our last couple minutes here, I just want to ask you, you guys have had and you in particular have had this unbelievable last few weeks <laughs> which I want to bring us up to the present. <laughs> first of all, let's start with the, you know, an obstacle that you all faced. Talk about the first preview here in New York of the show. I have never been on a more crazy journey, even from London. Yeah. It's just been like a, an insane amount of uh, patience and and um, courage and 
positive forces to get us all through because there's been a lot of like tears and it's been the craziest experience because it is so complex and because we have such a story to tell. So the stage is actually made up of five different revolves on the stage. This 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 enables us to forward time theatrically. It's also very cinematic for the audience because mm-hmm. they see people passing in front who are just standing still and the next person sings and the next person sings. So it's very beautiful in the way that it's staged, but it's also very complex, which requires a very complex floor. It doesn't look that way from the audience because the show needs to be very, needs to look pretty analog as far as, as, far as what type of stagecraft we're using. So... Combining all of that, plus incredible choreography, plus the floor moving underneath you while people are in tap shoes, or I'm doing like leapfrogs, or I'm jumping up on something, or you know, and required to remember all these crazy lines and how we repeat them over and over, over again. It's very complex, mm-hmm. most complex show I've ever had to do. So the first night of uh, previews, the floor was having trouble because just in the electrical issues, especially with Con Edison. I mean, <laughs> of all the things that were just like sort of failing us were like the electricity of the city is failing us. Um. So the floor got stuck and jammed and actually a piece of stuff underneath of there broke, which they found out later. Mm. Total fluke thing that never has happened. At the first freaking first preview. preview in front yeah. of in front of an audience right. who were very like happy to be there. Yeah. So for first fifteen minutes I'm in, shows rocking, people are loving it. Floor stops. Stop for a good ten minutes. They realize they can't start the floor up. In the meantime, what are you doing? I'm backstage, like going, really? This is this is happening right now. Matthew Warshus comes back and basically comes up with the idea. It's like, what if we did a concert version for everybody? I was like, yes, I know this material stands on its own. Yeah, we got all these chairs from state pieces from the stage and just chairs we had backstage. We sat at everybody who had a line or a song stood up and came forward and sort of half blocked something. And I tell you, man, that audience was with us the entire time and they gave us such love and the material was so funny and they knew how to suspend their disbelief anyway because that's what you do in the theater. You kind of have to suspend your disbelief and be involved in this world that's being played out in front of you. I think it was one of the more unique, more special performances of theater I've ever been that's able awesome. to be involved in. So that's, that's, toward, that's the very beginning of previews. Now, 72 hours before opening night, this would have been Friday, April 14th. You're in the second act of the preview, and what happens? It's a number called philanthropy where I'm saving everybody's life, I'm, I'm or life, or just saving their day. Mm-hmm. I'm running back and forth from stage left to stage right. It's a constant number where I'm moving and running and running and, and catching falling cats from the from the <laughs> ceiling and, and, you know, fixing a holster for a gun here, then running off and changing a tire. It's something Phil has discovered that he can do. He knows everything that's happening, so he does all this stuff. So I'm at top speed running from stage right to left, leapfrogging over somebody to catch a woman falling out of a ladder. This is my Superman moment. So this is towards the end of that number. And I land I land wrong on one on my left leg and it my knee just slams into my other knee full ACL tear, which I didn't know at the time. I just knew that I went down hard. I luckily had put my hand, my forearm in front of me because there was a ladder that I catch her from came straight from my head and I put my forearm up. I didn't realize I had done that. I think it was instinct because I had a huge bruise for a couple of days. I didn't realize where that was from. And you're in excruciating pain from the knee. I was more in shock and awe of I knew everything at that. It's hard to even think about today because I don't like thinking about this, mm-hmm. but I'm 
here's I just want to go dark for this moment because mm-hmm. the the after effect is something interesting. I had never sort of felt any loss like that in my life. I had three days before we were opening and I had had such, I had just won the Olivier. I had just gotten all these, I mean, people, there were, I heard about good reviews. I heard people were just like slamming us with such good love for this show. And my producers were happy and everybody was happy. And just before the show ends, I go down so hard and I I realized I had lost everything, all gone. I don't like talking. I hate mm. talking about it because I really, I haven't really, I haven't really t- been able to deal with it fully yet. Yeah. It's still, still tender moment, but uh, that's what I was hurt about most. The pain really didn't affect me, and actually, I've never had a pain pill since we started this, since I got this thing, because I also think ACLs are not really connected to a lot of nerve endings, so mm. they're just once they're gone, they're gone, and you can't walk. It, it'll hurt to walk. Mm-hmm. I just laid on the floor sobbing in front of the crew, in front of the cast, in front of the production team uh, because I had lost it all right at the pinnacle with a show that was going to do better than anything I had been involved with before. And every, and it was everything personal to me because I am so in love with the show. Mm -hmm. So I spent like 15 minutes sort of, well, I'd say that five minutes just sobbing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then five minutes thinking about what the hell are we going to do? And then I realized that because in the meantime, the curtains come down, curtains come down the, ENTs have have shown up and I'm sitting backstage just trying to figure out what the hell to do and then I realize my next song is called Seeing You which is about which is really Phil Connor's time to access his time with this crowd with this with the people behind him and sing about something something that is deeper within himself and at that point I I told the EMT guys, just like, here, I'll sign that. Go away. I don't want you guys. I'm going to limp out on stage. I'm going to do this last number for this audience. And I sang the song with a cane in one hand and, and uh, you know, just limping through the next scene, which is really just, I had two more scenes to go. Mm-hmm. But it, at that time, it, it's when I look back at the crowd that's on stage and I and I sing about how much I haven't seen. And now I see so many, so many things within everybody. And they were all in support of me. And so it became this huge life lesson thing that was happening all at once in the context of 15 minutes of my life. And it's so many things that are still happening and so many realizations that have come since then that it's every time I do the show from now on, it's a bigger experience. It's always been it's always been big for me. But this is a this is a life lesson champion moment. You know, also going to the depths of seeing everything go away to the wave of love coming at me, the the appreciation for where I am in my life and the appreciation for all the time we've just discussed on the on mm-hmm. your podcast today of where I've come from mm-hmm. to be here all out on stage for the audience. And I have no problem exposing that to people because it's all been done for that for them. And so. It's it's beautiful. It's uh, it's beautiful and horrible and tragic and wonderful and and elating and and special. And I don't recommend it for anybody. No, but, but it, it become it became that that decision of this is either going to define you or this is going to crush you. And I chose for it to define me in that way where I'm going to get up. I don't like wearing a brace, which I still am wearing for the shows that I'm doing. I've, but I let's took, before we even get yeah. to the current, let's just stay for for people who who may not have been following this, which. It's been unbelievable because you so you finish the show, which not many people would have would have done. You then, I guess, go off to the hospital. You get 
figure out what the situation is. Correct me if any of this is wrong, but the next day you do not do the show. Correct. The under, your understudy does it. Sunday, the, the there matinee is no, was canceled. Matinee is canceled. He, they rehearsed all day, and the understudy did the last show of the week, which he is He did Saturday. the evening, right? There's no, happened, fortunately, not to be a Sunday show. And then Monday night, when you guys opened, you were you were back. Yeah. This uh, God, as, uh, The MRI with the doctor showed full tear. How do you come back from this? They're, they're, everybody was in in the idea that, like, let's try to get you back for Monday. Don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to get it done. They're saying we want to get you back, or you're saying I'm going to be back. My wife is saying more like, I can't, I can't believe she saw, she had the vision. She she said, while I'm in the hospital, it's like, you're doing Monday night, wow. your opening night. Are you going to sit at home or out in the audience and let your opening night pass you by? In that selfish way, like, no, but I can't walk. Mm-hmm. I couldn't walk Friday night, and I was on crutches most of Saturday, but I was in physical therapy the next day <clears throat> trying to figure out how do we, how do we, how does this ligament look? Can you straighten your knee? I could barely straighten or bend, but mm-hmm. I was like really accessing a lot of uh, like mind control over that and trying to push. So 72 hours later, we I showed up on Monday, which was our opening day. I showed up on Monday morning at 9.30 to work out some things that I needed to change a little because there's this show's very physical. Yeah. Just basically I couldn't, you know, do a couple of turns and things like that. The entire cast shows up at 10 a.m. And I'm still indebted to all of them because on their opening night, they had to show up at 10 a.m. and rehearse all day before their opening night. So, you know. The girls have to get their hair done. They bought dresses for this night. The guys are like, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. We've been rehearsing every day since, you know, the dawn of time. <laughs> and this is how I felt because I told them I'm so sorry. I emailed everybody. I said, I'm so sorry. And they were all just like, shut up. We're, we're going to be there for you. We're, and so it, it was astounding that amount of love was happening, which got me through because I was on my feet for 16 hours from rehearsals to the uh, opening night party. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. And people went nuts. People went nuts because here's the thing. It became a karate kid moment. And like, I, I didn't, well, I wasn't, I wasn't playing it out like that. Right. I was like, cause somebody told me about it, sh- showed me a gif of karate kid. And I was like, Oh my God, that's exactly how I felt when I was watching karate kid as a kid. You know, here's this guy who has his legs sweep from out under him and he has his last move to, you know, win the, <laughs> the uh, the big battle, and so right. I, that was it. And and from playing Rocky, I knew it's like champions just they they get up. There's nothing that keep it, you, life can knock you down, but you got it's how tough you are to stand up. You know, all these life lessons are flashing before my eyes. So that night was very special. Yes, I was I was limited to a little bit of a of a limp in my walk, which you know I. Understandable, <laughs> but, but I tell you, when you're faced with that kind of stuff, the acting becomes the story becomes so so much a bigger of a bigger thing. I became a worse of a, of a jerk and more of an evolved person by the end of that night. I think you know my wife kept telling me, "He's like, I've never seen you act that thing better than that night," and it's true. It's like when I didn't have this, I didn't have my leg, I didn't have the physical stuff to depend on as much. It became about this story, which I knew worked from that opening night that we that our stage broke. Mm-hmm. We have this immense story that needs to be told and people love this story and it teaches a lot of lessons. So again, seeing singing that last song for that opening night was 
just as profound. It, it was a, but it had a whole new meaning for me internally, and sure, and sure for the audience as well, because they knew somebody was up there trying, living that thing of the show must go on, and that's something that's you know, through the career or, or the shows that I've done, it's like I've seen it a million times, and now here's my opportunity. Well, I had the opportunity to see you that within a week after this all went down, and. I mean, to be honest, I forgot that there there had even been an injury until you kind of make the the joking, winking reference within the show referring to your knee yeah. brace. But I mean, it's just an unbelievable story. And I and again, I, I mentioned to you earlier that I've only been really doing this beat for four years, and so I I don't feel like I have the observer performer familiarity with anyone else that I than I you know to the extent that I do with you from having seen Rocky on the 20th Century and now Groundhog Day. And so just generally, I'm excited to see you do anything, but to see, you know, what you've had to overcome with this, it's really special. So I, I just tip my cap to you. You're now going back to a full schedule. You'd only missed a few matinees, I think. And, yeah, and I missed uh, matin- two matinees last week, and that was that was the second week. The first week after the injury, I missed four shows because doctors were just right. like, no. don't do this. But after I got through this week, then starting – the week now, yeah. I'm starting full schedule, and uh, the doctors are impressed. Yeah, this is the kind of and thing the, uh, professional athletes are and impressed. Are gone for for a year I'm from impressed. This. Oh, it's, you should, <laughs> it's just an amazing thing. So really, uh, it's, it's hard to be cocky though, once because uh, you'll have a little tweak in your leg. You're like, oh, I don't feel no, but I people, gotta get through. People should know, like you know, it's hard enough to do eight shows a week of anything when you're not on stage the whole time, when you're not severely injured. And when, when you're not, you know, dealing with the emotional side of it, which is, as you've acknowledged is sometimes probably as a result of this worse than the, hmm. the physical. So anyway, I just tip my cap to you and I really thank you for thank doing you. this. And, and There's no business like show business. No, Listen to that song. You'll, you'll right. hear it again you'll it. and you'll, you'll get it. But uh, I just want to say this is, I realize this is how theater, people in the theater are. Yeah. Backstage, on stage, producers we get this show on and the show must go on. And I have never been taught that lesson stronger than I have been now. And if I can pass that on to anybody else who joins the theater, that's what we're made of, made of like steel. So let's do it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.